Welcome everyone to the HSP Wellness Warriors podcast, where we empower highly sensitive people to become warriors of their own wellness. I'm Tanya and I'm here with my co-host Daphne. And today we are concluding our series on the Yamas, the ethical guidelines from the eight limbs of yoga. Over the past few episodes, if you've been with us, we've explored principles of non-harming, truthfulness, non-stealing, and now we're diving into the final two yamas, brahmacharya and aparigraha. And there's a lot to talk about, so let's get into it. Great. Thank you, Tanya. So brahmacharya refers to the practice of abstinence and moderation, while aparigraha encourages us to cultivate non-attachment. And these two yamas hold really valuable insights for us as HSPs, as the other ones have done as well. Um, They help us to navigate the complexities of life and to find greater balance and inner peace, which who doesn't want more of that? Yes, please. (laughs) So we can have a tendency to absorb and process energy intensely as highly sensitive people. And brahmacharya teaches us the importance of managing our energy wisely, um, setting boundaries, which that's one that comes up a lot in our talks as HSPs. And, um, And then also practicing moderation in various aspects of our lives. And so it's about really just recognizing our limits and then ensuring that we have the resources to take care of ourselves. I totally agree with that, Daphne. You know, brahmacharya can be kind of a tricky one based on traditional teachings, but I feel that in my own life, it's really been transformative, mainly in my relationships, um, but it also connects to the way I treat myself, the having more self-compassion and making sure that I take time to take care of myself, whether it's, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and so I do this by con- consciously <laughs> um, trying to practice abstinence from people and habits that drain my energy. Mm. Um, you know, the term energy vampire comes to mind. I'm sure we've all known at least one energy vampire in our lives. Um, and so, you know, by, by doing that, I'm trying to learn to prioritize my own well-being. And it's really about finding that balance where I can engage in things and with people as an HSP that bring me joy, but while also knowing when to pull back a little bit so my energy isn't depleted. Uh, Yes, I totally get that, Tanya. You know, and I love that you brought up that thing about energy vampires, because one of the things that I often think is that when we aren't giving ourselves what we really need, then oftentimes, unknowingly, we end up trying to drain what we need from others. And we ourselves can become essentially energy vampires. And and none of us wants to do that. Um, But that's why I truly believe that self-care 
can be the most unselfish thing that we do so that we're not trying to drain what we need from others as a result of not giving ourselves what we need. Mm-hmm. So in my own journey, I have found that brahmacharya extends beyond just physical energy because it's also about emotional and mental energy as well. And so um, by being more mindful of the relationships and interactions in my life that can either uplift or drain me, I then have become more intentional about cultivating connections that really help to align with my well-being. And it doesn't matter that, I mean, it doesn't mean that we have to just cut everybody yes. <laughs> out of our lives. It's just that we're being intentional. Yeah. Quality so recognizing- quantity, right? Yes, exactly. And we're recognizing, you know, when it's like, okay, you know, I may really care about this person and it's draining. And so I'm going to set a limit on boundaries. Yes. How much time? <laughs> yeah. So, so we're going to explore this concept of brahmacharya. And I want to start out with, by just sharing a little bit about the history of it and how it's really evolved into the practice mm-hmm. that we know today. This is important. Yeah. So brahmacharya is traditionally rooted in ancient Indian philosophies, and it has undergone kind of a significant evolution in its interpretation over time. So in its earlier historical context, it very much referred to a period of celibacy and self-restraint that was observed by students or seekers on their spiritual path. And so it was seen as a way to conserve energy and redirect it towards spiritual growth and realization, which I think is a really beautiful, you know, concept. And and the historical understanding of brahmacharya placed a really strong emphasis on sexual abstinence and the control of sexual desire. But as time has passed, and um, you know, and practiced by a wider audience, it's kind of evolved into a broader perspective. And it can now be viewed as an overall principle of moderation, of conscious choice, and the responsible management of, you know, one's own energy in various aspects of life. I love that explanation, Daphne. It's um, it was so clear. And really helpful. I think that today, brahmacharya, as many of us practice it in the West, looking at it in a way to really just encourage us to engage and practice a more balanced and mindful approach in all areas of our lives, right? So yes, including relationships, work, once again, in the West, work is put, we're taught, but work above almost everything else. Um, and we talk all the time about work-life balance, right? Um, and even, you know, what we do for fun, making sure that we're taking that time for ourselves to actually enjoy life, you know, going for a walk, go to the park, go to the beach, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, just making sure that we're kind of touching on all those aspects of our lives. And it invites us to 
really align our actions with our higher values and for us to use our energy in ways that promote our overall well-being. Um, and I think that for us as highly sensitive people, Brahmacharya can really take on a much deeper significance for us. Um, because our sensitive nature means that we experience all of these intense emotions, so much intense energy. And so by inviting this practice of brahmacharya, we can learn to be more discerning about how we invest our energy and to do our best to find ways where we're investing our where how are how we're investing our energy making sure that it aligns with our priorities and what our true values are right our values of our that we have within us not values that we take on from some external um I'll say force or external influence absolutely tanya um as highly sensitive people i think it's really important for us to honor our need for solitude and self-care to really honor those things that are very important to us. And like you said, and, you know, not just looking at, you know, maybe values that have been placed on us, but the values that we have been able to discern for ourselves. And um, Brahmacharya can remind us to, create healthy boundaries to carve out time for rest for reflection because highly sensitive people are deep thinkers and we should give space to our thoughts you know and to be able to reflect on things more deeply and then also to really take time for rejuvenation because that's so important like we we need that time to reset and replenish ourselves so it's really about listening to our bodies, honoring our limits, you know, paying attention to our thoughts. And, um, and in that way, when we do this practice, then we can really start to show up fully in all the different areas of our lives, you know, instead of just like you said in the West that we put so much emphasis on work. And sometimes, you know, if we like really overdo it in that area, I mean, I've talked to so many highly sensitive people that say then they get home and they have nothing left to give to yeah. their family or their loved ones or the rest of their life. And so it's really about learning how to moderate. So I want to share some specific tips. I want us to share some spe specific tips to actually like put it into action in daily life. And, and, and for me, it's like everything always starts with this one. We can always begin by developing our own awareness because we simply cannot change what we are not aware of. And so this is, you know, becoming aware of our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, our words, you know, are these things in alignment? Um, and, and then we can begin to notice when we feel tempted to indulge in excess, which, you know, I'm a big fan of moderation and that can include, you know, the occasional excess, however, <laughs> too much excess. And we can very, very quickly move to a place of imbalance in how we feel. 
And so we can just start to notice when, when do I feel tempted to really indulge? And when am I moving away from this place of moderation in my life? And again, awareness is really just the first step um, in so many practices and definitely the first step in learning how to practice some self-control. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like for me, what really works to help m- as I'm developing my awareness is slowing down. Yes. So, you know, slowing down while I'm eating, for example, um, just different things like that. Noticing how I'm, how I'm eating my meals. Um, you know, some of us have a lot of trauma, childhood trauma around mealtime, for example, that's my case. And so I find that by slowing down, I'm able, able to notice, oh, I'm now aware that underneath the table, I'm clenching my fist and I'm holding my breath while I'm eating. You know, that's not healthy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? And, so and you know, Tanya, one thing I want to say about that is I think in our last episode, we talked about how so many of these things overlap one another. And that is such a great example because when we slow down, um, I, I once heard this great teaching. It was like, go slow in order to go fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and really what it was saying is that, you know, when we're rushing through things, one, we're usually using way more energy than is necessary in the moment. Cause like you said, we might be clenching and holding yeah. in ways that we don't even know that we're eating up our physical mm-hmm. energy, but then we're also more likely to make mistakes or get into accidents and, And all of those things are ways that we can steal from ourselves, you know, steal Mm -hmm. our own time and our own energy. And so there's such an overlap in these practices. And I love that, that slowing down. It's so simple. Slow down. Yeah. I'll even just share quickly. This might help someone who's, who's listening or watching that this just happened to me this morning as I was eating my breakfast. I noticed that I was holding my breath, clenching my fists. And so as soon as I noticed, I set my spoon down for my oatmeal and I took a couple of deep breaths and I slowed down my meal. And Mm. I even started saying to myself uh, mentally, I am safe. I Mm. am safe, right? Because it's going back to this place when I was a kid, when dinner time was not, eating at the table was not safe. So just that one practice, it's totally changed the rest of my morning. Yeah. So yeah, slowing down for sure. That's, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, With that, you know, another one that we come back to over and over again, a way that we can actually practice brahmacharya in daily life is through how we set boundaries because it's just so important. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are, boundaries again. (laughs) And so we want to practice, you know, setting clear boundaries for ourselves, both, you know, with ourselves and in regards to others. And this might include, you know, setting some limits on your screen time. How much time do you spend on screens? How much time are you scrolling through social media? 
or it could even be setting boundaries in regards to, you know, food and drink intake. Um, because when we start to, you know, really pay attention and we notice what, what starts to slip into that, those areas of excess that, that ultimately drain us, that then we're, if we can set some boundaries, we're less likely to overindulge so that we're not just completely (laughs) wiping ourselves out. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, of course, boundaries again, I love that. And I feel like a lot of times, at least for me, and maybe you can relate to this, Daphne, that a lot of times I think about boundaries with other people, which I think for a lot of us can be the hardest place to start, the most difficult. So when you're talking about moderation, right, setting boundaries for ourselves, I feel like, you know, if I, if we set a boundary for ourselves, like, okay, I'm only going to be on social media, you know, for 15 minutes today, for example, I feel like that's a really good like foundation when we start those boundaries for ourselves and then it becomes easier to implement them into other areas of our lives. So if we're really, really struggling with setting boundaries with that energy vampire, um, it can be easier if we kind of like grow into that space, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like um, for me, so cultivating self-discipline is something that's really, really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's one of those things, right? We're setting boundaries for myself as a foundation. Um, so, you know, creating a <clears throat> daily routine and sticking to it, but also not beating yourself up <laughs> if you don't do everything perfectly, you know, yes. I'm the kind of person, <laughs> yes, I'll set up the list. Okay. I'm going to do these 10 things today and I might only get to three. Yeah. Right? And I've spent so much time in that space where, you know, I just can't do it. I, you know, all of these like self doubts and all these kind of stuff. And instead of saying, I did these three things today right? How awesome is it that I got these three things done instead of looking at, you know, the six or seven that I didn't. Um, And so kind of flipping it, you know, to kind of see the positive Um, and that, you know, self-discipline can include a regular sleep schedule, consistent exercise, um, you know, meditating for 10 minutes a day, um, And the more we kind of get into the space of practicing self-discipline and setting those boundaries for ourselves, the easier it does become over time. And those three things will become four things. And eventually one day I'll get to those 10. (laughs) Absolutely, Tanya. I totally, totally agree. And I have found for myself that the more that I cultivate self-discipline, and I don't mean in a harsh, like I'm trying to... (laughs) live like a nun, Uh but, but the more that I have some self-discipline and I actually follow through on the things that are important to me, it's a natural self-confidence booster. And one thing I would say to that is that what that can look like for me truly in action is that maybe the meditation isn't 10 minutes. Maybe my meditation is two minutes because that's what I can do to actually follow through 
on keeping that, you know, commitment to myself. Yeah. And so it's, you know, sometimes, so sometimes we can lower the expectation and still show up in the capacity that we can in the moment. And the more that we do that and we follow through and we show up for ourselves, the more confident we feel about our abilities to follow through and show up. Mm -hmm. No, I, that's so helpful, Daphne. I love that. And it kind of brings me back to my list of 10 things, right? Being overly ambitious can sometimes just, we're kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy or kind of setting, at least for me, I can only speak for me in my experience, but almost setting myself up to fail, Yeah. right? Instead of starting with, you know, five things or three things and building myself up, you know, looking at it that way. And I think um, another one for me, practicing mindfulness, this can be a really important thing along those same lines, right? Making sure that we're being mindful of what we're doing every day and kind of putting that mindfulness mindset into our daily routine. So being, you know, doing our best, right? To be as present as we can in the moment, right? We hear all these things, you know, be fully present, all it's not easy. It's hard (laughs) paying attention to all the thousands of thoughts that go through our mind every day, all the feelings and emotions and energies that we have as HSPs, um, not only from within us, right. But from our surroundings. Um, and so when we're practicing mindfulness, it just helps us to stay a little bit more centered and focused on our goals. So having, you know, if I, if I'm practicing mindfulness of how my day is and how my days have been, I'll know that 10 things on my to-do list probably isn't realistic, right? If I take a more mindful approach, maybe five is more realistic and I'm going to start with there and build from there. Um, So yeah, just thinking about that it's not really necessarily about deprivation or denying ourselves things that we enjoy. It's about finding that balance um, Mm. and just slowly cultivating that self-discipline and moderation over time and just doing our best to make choices that support our overall well-being. Um, And, you know, it's going to look different from for all of us, right? Maybe somebody, maybe Daphne, you can do those 10 things in a day and more power to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's definitely deeply personal. Um, and what matters is that we approach all of these teachings with intention and integrity, um, and just use them as a guide to help us live lives that feel authentic to us and are aligned with, you know, what we know to be true for ourselves. Absolutely. Tanya. Um, so we should probably dive into the concept yes. of a parigraha <laughs> now, because this and this is a really good one, I think, to wrap things up with in terms of the yamas. It teaches us about non-attachment. And this is a really big one. I think as highly sensitive people, we can easily become overwhelmed by our emotions, sometimes by our attachments to people, to things, to outcomes. 
And so this practice invites us to let go of some of these attachments to soften our grip. <laughs> um, for, for those of you, you know, who feel like we need to have like tight control in our lives, that's mm. been a big one for me. Also, as a person who comes, you know, with a background that contained trauma that it's like, I, I want to control everything in my life because mm-hmm. that feels safer. Yeah. But it's, it is letting go and realize just non-attachment. It's such a great one because it really helps us to embrace what you were talking about, like with mindfulness of actually living in the present moment with more acceptance, living in a more balanced way. Um, so this is a really profound practice in my own life. And I am continuing to learn how to release some of my expectations to let go again of that need to control the outcomes or other people. <laughs> and so non-attachment can be so hard, mm-hmm. but with practice, I feel like I'm able to let go a little bit more and, um, and that, it allows me to feel more of a sense of freedom and peace within myself. So what about you, Tanya? How do, how do you, how do you use a parigraha? Um, you know, probably the easiest one is through releasing uh, material items, mm-hmm. um, through just decluttering, um, my spaces and, I find that when I when I do that with physical items that it also starts to move into um my internal self as well. Um and so by letting go of physical clutter, things that I've carried with me, you know, from state to state, however many times I've moved now, and now I look at something and it's like I'm this no longer holds value for me. Why do I still have this? Um, and so by letting go of some of these physical things, simplifying my environment, um, it also creates space for mental clarity and peace of mind for me. Um, and also by releasing, you know, mental and emotional clutter as well, a lot of emotional attachments right? To physical items, things that we've had over the years. Um, It also, it starts to open up more space for me to be more present um, and more open to new things, new experiences. Um, My mind is more open, just have more space in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't really know how else to describe it. I got more space (laughs) in my brain. Um, And you know, this is decluttering is like a huge thing, right? And also kind of going back to society, right? We're conditioned to buy things. We're conditioned to, we're being sold something pretty much all of our waking hours, um, right? And so this is really hard to do, letting go, especially as HSPs, when something is like sentimental or or we've attached um, an emotional value to something uh, physical, um, And so, you know, I started small, so I would recommend to anybody who's thinking about maybe doing this to start small, let go of a few things that maybe have less sentimental, less sentimental value before moving on to things that have more value, more memories attached to them. Um, 
I've taken photos of things um, before I've let go of them. So I still have, you know, a memory if I need it. Um, you can donate to an organization. Um, there's all kinds of different things that you can do. Um, so, you know, for example, I had jewelry that family had left me, um, that I never wore. I never would wear it. So mm -hmm. I donated it to a local charity, you know, for an auction fundraiser. And it was a great feeling to know that somebody else was putting it to good use. Um, and so letting go of some of these possessions, it just created so much more space for me internally. And I just felt so much lighter from it. Oh, I love that, Tanya. Um, I think, I don't know if I've told you this probably, but back in 2008, um, we wanted to move from where we were, had been living for the past 13 years. And so but we had no idea where we were going to go. So we sold our home, literally got rid of almost all of our worldly belongings. And we moved our family of five at the time into an RV. Mm. And it was one of the most incredibly liberating experiences. So it, it was not a, it was not a start small <laughs> <laughs> because literally the first thing I hit was my bookshelf because at the time I was mm. so attached to my books yeah. and I thought, oh my gosh. So that was the very first thing that I got rid of was most of my books. And um, I allowed myself to keep one little box of books. <laughs> But it was so, such an amazing experience. And, you know, like you said, that we we can have these deep emotional attachments to things, especially things that hold memories. And so um, for me, non-attachment is a way to go deeper into the practice of mindfulness, being fully present in each moment, then we can observe our thoughts our emotions and our attachments um, without judgment. And, um, and, and when we practice mindfulness, it can help us recognize if we're becoming perhaps a little too attached to a particular outcome mm. or clinging to a certain idea or to the expectations that we have of others. And it can allow us to let go and really start to embrace more of the flow of life. Mm -hmm. and, and and I think with that, we can also practice self-compassion um, through through this practice of a parigraha and non-attachment, because it's so normal to have attachments and to have desires as human beings. So instead of berating ourselves for these attachments, we can maybe extend a little loving kindness and understanding towards ourselves. And it's really a journey. Um, we're all a work in progress on these things, but it is a practice, I think, that requires some patience and self-reflection. Um, but, but ultimately, it's about letting go of the things that no longer serve us and finding more contentment in the present moment. And I think if we if we just start to take those little small steps, that then we can really cultivate these practices, um, this practice in particular, which really can help us experience more of a sense of freedom and inner peace. That is so beautiful, Daphne. 
I love that story. Yep. You definitely started big. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And then we, we realize though, we start to realize though, from a situation like that, all the things that we really don't necessarily need in our daily lives. Um, And I think that's a beautiful, you know, point for us to end on today is both of these practices, you know, and everything that we're talking about, you know, just take, take the pieces that make the most sense to you um, from anything that we're talking about, you know, even if it's just one little piece of, you know, letting go of something that you've been holding on to um, that you don't need anymore. Um, and so Daphne and I, we really encourage you to try these practices of brahmacharya and a parigraha in your own lives. Think about, you know, some small ways that you can start to let go of some of these attachments to things that no longer um, are serving the life that you're living now. And make sure that, you know, you have a lot of self-compassion in your daily life. And, you know, reach out and let us know if you try any of these tips that we've talked about, if you have any questions on anything that we've we've been talking about. Um, we really want to connect with you and know know how it's going for you. Absolutely. So um, this is, you know, we're coming to this conclusion of this little series on the yamas. So we, over the last few episodes, we looked at ahimsa, satya, asteya, brahmacharya, and aparigraha. Um, if you missed any of them, go back and check them out. We really hope that you've gained some valuable insights um, through looking at these ways that we can live in a more conscious way so that we can have a very fulfilling life as highly sensitive people. So thank you all so much for joining us on another episode of the HSP Wellness Warriors podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, stay connected, um, our we're gonna have some future uh, lots many more future episodes (laughs) (laughs) so it's our goal on all kinds of different ways that we can empower the wellness of highly sensitive people so until next time take care be well all of our fellow wellness warriors bye everybody see you next time Mm bye-bye